And so now, uh, graduates, this morning, you know, the sermon's a little bit more tailored to you. That's a little different, isn't it? And you're on the front row, which doesn't happen very often. Uh, let me say this to you. If you're visiting this morning, um, this because I've tailored the message to our graduates this morning doesn't mean that you're not going to get anything out of it. So I encourage you to keep your ears open, keep your heart open, because I think what you're going to find is it's going to apply to you as mothers, and it's going to apply to all of us uh, this morning. So I am going to tailor it towards them specifically, but I don't want you to shut down uh, this morning. And uh, to kick us off this morning, I need a little bit of audience or uh, congregation participation. And so I'm going to ask you a few questions, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Now, I assure you that uh, the goal here in asking you to raise your hand is to not humiliate anyone. This is not a trap. It's not going to be like you raise your hand, and then I go, ha-ha, you're wrong. It's not like that. I, I, I'm wanting to show our graduates something. So I'm going to ask a few questions, and then I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Graduates, as I do that, I'm going to want you to kind of look around and just kind of take a survey of what you see. Okay? Can we, can we do that? All right. So audience participation, this is your part here. All right. If you would, uh, if you went to high school, graduate high school, or finished your GED, would you please just raise your hand? All right, look around. Everybody got? All right. <laughs> look at you guys are so supportive. All right. <laughs> All right, thank you guys. All right, uh, if you went now, if you went from high school straight into the workplace, no college, from high school straight into the workplace, raise your hand. All right. Everybody taking a look there? Okay, good, good. All right, now listen to this one closely because this one might be a trick question here. If you attended college... Not necessarily graduated, but you attend it. And, and maybe I even need to clarify a little further and say if you were on a roster for a college class. Because attended might be too much for, for some. So if you attended or were on a roster for a college class, will you raise your hand? All right, look around. Okay, good. All right, this is the last question I have for you. Uh, if you were just raising your hand, you attended college, you had your name on a roster, whether you graduated or not, if the field of work that you went into, if the field of work that you went into is the same field that you were studying for, raise your hand. Okay. All right. All right. I could keep going. I could ask questions. I could have asked how many of you didn't graduate high school, and I could ask how many of you went into a field that was different. I mean, there's lots of questions that I could ask you, but here's what I wanted you all to see, graduates. There was a lot of different diversity, wasn't there? There's a lot of hands that rose each of those questions. And if I were to go on and keep asking questions, you would have seen different hands raised. I could have gone on, I could have asked you the question, if you feel a sense of purpose and fulfillment in what you're doing now, some of you would raise your hand, some of you wouldn't have. You would have seen a diversity. And here's, here's what I wanted you to see. These people that you looked around, some of them you know, some of them you don't, some of them you respect, some of them you have, you have grown up knowing, some of them are, are, are highly successful in your eyes, and all of them went different roads. See, it's not, about, it's not about whether you graduate high school, whether you graduate college, whether you, whether you went into the field of study that you went in. What you just saw was the people that you looked at, all different roads, all different paths, and I, I know that some of them that you looked at, you're thinking, yeah, I respect that person. Yeah, they're successful in my eyes. And I guarantee you, if you were to go and ask them, if we were to ask 10 people, line them up, and say, uh, did you have a sense or a purpose in where you were going? Did you have an idea? Did you have a big picture for where you wanted to do in your life? At some point, they would have all said, yes, at some point, I got a big picture. I got an idea, an understanding of what I want to do with my life. And they might tell you what that is. It's a vision, right? A vision for my life. But if you ask 10 people, what was your vision for your life? 
all 10 would probably give you different answers. You'd probably have 10 different visions and they might all be good visions. This is what I knew I was going to do with my life. This is where I wanted to go with my life. Or, you know, I didn't know at this point, but I knew at this point and this is where. All of them may be good answers. But if all 10 of them, if none of them are tied into the one main vision that God gives you for your life, they're not as important as that. Because God has a vision for each of us in our life. And vision is important. You see, vision is what, is what our big picture, where we're headed is. Vision is, is where do we want to be down the road. Vision is what we want to be doing. Vision keeps us focused. Vision keeps us diligent instead of being distracted. Vision is important. You know, when I, when I started driving, uh, we, uh, we had a, I had a family of six kids, and uh, we had an 87 Suburban, okay? 87 Suburban. Now, this 87 Suburban was ugly. Now, I'm talking like U-G-L-Y, ugly. Like paint chipped, rust showing, and when you would hit the slightest bump, right? So we're driving into the school parking lot, all right? We were driving that. Now, it was, it was so bad, this 87 Suburban, that you know when you're, when you're holding on to the, uh, the steering wheel, where are you supposed to put your hands? Do you put your hands at 10 and 2? No, don't, don't answer. Don't incriminate yourself. Okay, 10 and 2, right? Now, if you put your hands at 10 and 2, you know how most steering wheels, right there in the middle, they have this little part. Sometimes it has controls on it. Now, the 87 Suburban didn't have any of that. But it has the emblem of your car on it, you know? In my case, it was a Chevy, so the little Chevy emblem was right there in the middle, right? If you have your hands at 10 and 2, all that would be where it's supposed to be, right? Now, if I drove my 87 Suburban like that, I would have gone left. Okay? What I had to do to go straight with my 87 Suburban was turn that wheel like this and then readjust my hands. So now the center console was all crooked and then I would go straight. It was so bad that if I turned left, I would really go left. If I held it straight, I would still go left. If I wanted to go right, I had to turn it right, right. You know, that's called an alignment problem. <laughs> A big time alignment problem. See, because your, your alignment is what keeps you going straight when that wheel's held straight. And this Suburban that I learned to drive on didn't go straight. It had an alignment problem. Vision is like that. If you don't have a vision for your life, a purpose, where you want to go, what you want to do, you're like an 87 rusted chipped paint Suburban with bad alignment. You're just going to go off course. You're going to go crooked. Vision keeps us focused. Vision keeps us in it. And so God has a vision for all of our lives. God has a vision for your life. Some of the most successful people I know some of them graduated high school, some of them did not. Some of them are, are millionaires now. Some of them live paycheck to paycheck. Some of them own their own businesses. Some of them are low man or woman on the totem pole. But they're some of the most successful people I know. And you know what they all have in common? They caught a vision for God's mission. They caught a vision for God's mission. Because when you catch a vision for God's mission, it doesn't matter where you're going. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what college you're going to. It doesn't matter if you know what college you're going to, what you major in, what field of work you go into, what kind of people you hang out with. When you catch a vision for God's mission, it changes everything. It keeps you focused. And so this morning, we're going to see that, what that vision is. What, is. what is God's mission? 
And so we're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you need a, a Bible, there should be a few on the, on the rows there in front of you. And uh, you're welcome to turn to 2 Corinthians 5. If, uh, if that Bible works for you, you don't have a Bible, and uh, you're reading that and it makes sense to you, please keep that. That's our gift to you. Uh, we want to make sure that everybody has a Bible that they can read and that it makes sense. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, what we have here is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, and, and this is a verse that, that you all are going to know. It's chapter 5, verse 20. Now, we're going to spend most of our time focusing on chapter 5, verse 20, but, it, but at some point, I'm going to have to give you a little bit of context, and so we'll go back and look a little bit. But chapter 5, verse 20, 2 Corinthians 5, 20 says this. Paul says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making his plea through us. We plead with you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. So Paul says he's an ambassador of Christ. Now, now you guys know what an ambassador is already. An ambassador is someone, in its most simplest sense, is someone who represents another person. Right? In, in a more specific sense, uh, in a more official capacity, an ambassador is someone who represents a king or a political person who's in authority, and they represent them with their message, and they carry their authority. So in those days, if a, if a king or in our days, if a president wants to send a representative to another country or to another person because he, he or she can't make it, then they send their ambassador to that country. And this person goes with the message of the person who's in authority, and this person goes carrying the very authority of the person they represent. You see, it would be like if you had an ambassador come to your town for the king, you treat that ambassador just as if the king was before you. You represented them. Now, now, graduates, let me ask you this. Now, I need your participation. How many of you at any point in your school career were part of a sports team, an organization, a club, or anything like that? Yeah, I figured I'd get all the hands. You were an ambassador. Thank you. You were an ambassador. Every time you went to a competition, every time you went on a trip, every time you went outside of those school walls, or sometimes even inside of those school walls, you were representing that team or that club or that group. And whether you were going to a competition or whether you were going to, to a, a, a trip where you were, you were going to be learning things, you were going with a mission. You had a purpose. You were going with the purpose that that group or that team had told you was your purpose. If you're playing ball, it's because you're going to go win. If you're wrestling, you're going to win. If you're part of one of the honor society, you're going to go and represent uh, the, the school with regard to academics. If you're part of any kind of competition or any kind of club, you became an ambassador, for better or for worse. Right? You were representing those people back at the school. You were representing all the students. You were representing the principal. You were representing uh, all of the, the different administrators at your school, the teachers and all that. You guys know what an ambassador is. Paul says, I was an ambassador of Christ. I represented Christ. That means Paul represented Christ with his message and Paul represented Christ with his life. That means when Paul, when Paul was traveling around, he was traveling around with the mission of Christ. What was it that Christ wanted done? What was it that Jesus wanted done? Paul was doing that. What was the message that Jesus had given Paul to share? Paul was sharing that. So he says, I am an ambassador of Christ. The other thing to keep in mind about an ambassador is not just that they represent someone who's an authority or someone who has a message, but that an ambassador does not live for themselves. An ambassador does not live for themselves. When an ambassador goes and carries a message... When an ambassador goes and represents someone else, they carry out the will and the desire of the person they're representing. 
They carry out the will and the desire of the king or the president. You carry out the mission of your sports team or your organization. You don't go and do your own thing. You represent the one who sent you. Paul says, I, I'm an ambassador of Christ. I do what Christ wants me to do. Paul didn't travel around and do what he, he wanted to do. So he's an ambassador of Christ, verse, chapter 5, verse 20. Now, an ambassador has to have a message, right? If you're going to represent someone, you've got to have a message. What was that message? He goes on in chapter 20. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though we were making his plea through us, or as though God were making his plea through us. We plead with you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. There's your message. There's what Paul was, was saying. Be reconciled to God. Now, in order to, to understand that, we need to step back a few verses. So go with me to verse 14. Paul says, be reconciled to God. What, is, what does that mean? What is Paul's message that he's, he's carrying? Well, Paul, in the, in the book of 2 Corinthians, the reason he's writing is because his authority and his message are being questioned. His very ambassadorship is being questioned. And, and people are accusing him of being out of his mind uh, for speaking things that are foolish. Paul, Paul is being accused of being a false representative. And so Paul's writing these Corinthians, these people that he spent uh, many, many months with, and he's saying, you know us. We spent time with you. And in verse 14, he jumps in and he says this in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, since we have concluded this. Christ died for all, therefore all have died. Paul says the reason we do what we do, the reason we speak what we speak, the reason we endure what we endure is because Christ's love controls us. Christ's love controls us. Paul was not, was not representing himself. He was representing Christ, and Christ's love controlled them. But what does that look like? And what, what does that love look like? So he says, in the second part of verse 14, he says, for we have concluded this. Here's what Christ's love looks like. We've concluded this. Christ died for all, meaning he died in the place of all people, all types of people, all people. There's not one person that Christ, when he came, died, that he didn't die in their place for. In other words, there's no person who can earn their salvation. There's no person who, apart from what God did through Christ, can get reconciled to God. Paul says Christ died for all people. He died in their place for all people. He goes on and he says, and so uh, since Christ died for all, therefore all have died. And so what he's, what he's saying is that if you've placed your trust in Christ, because Christ died for you, then when you place your trust in Christ you've died with Christ. Now that has some significance because he's going to explain what that means now. In verse 15, he says, in verse 15, and he, he died for all, therefore all, have, I'm sorry, and he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised. So did you get that? An ambassador doesn't live for themselves. Paul says, uh, Christ died for all, and so all who died, died with him. And then he says in, in and verse 15, and for all that he died for, all who have placed their trust in Christ, now we live, but we don't live for ourselves. We live for the one who died for us. So Paul's explaining, look, we don't do what we do because it's our own desires, our own wills. We're not, we're not making this stuff up. We're doing it because Christ's love demonstrated to us, controls us. It compels us to do this. We have no choice. We, in light of God's love shown to us, we have no choice but to do what we do. So, so Paul's telling his accusers, you might think we're crazy. You might think we're foolish for enduring what we're enduring. But when we consider Christ's love for us, that he died for us 
so that we can live, we understand that we don't live for ourselves now. We live for the one who died for us. So he goes on then, and he says, so then from now on in verse 16, we acknowledge no one from an outward human point of view, even though we have known Christ from such a human point of view. Now we do not know him in that way any longer. So, so Paul is, is addressing some accusers who are saying, you guys, you, you act funny, you talk funny. Now, that's, I'm not saying you act funny and you talk funny, but Paul's, Paul's getting some accusations, right? Paul, Paul is being, being told by uh, false teachers or there, there's this little bug being put in their ear whispering and, and they're saying, Paul is loony. He's out of his mind. I mean, do you, what kind of person goes and, and, and allows themselves to be beaten for this and then continues to do it? What kind of person goes and talks about this kind of foolish stuff about this man dying for someone uh, in your place and so if you just believe in him, then you live? That's foolish. What kind of man says that there's nothing you have to do to, to earn your salvation with God? You just, you just believe. That's foolish. And so what had happened was other teachers had risen on the scene. And Paul's saying, look, because of Christ's love controlling us, because we no longer live for ourselves but we live for Christ, we no longer look at people from an outward perspective. We no longer look at a person who appears to be spiritual and assume they are. We no longer look at a person who does not appear to be spiritual and assume that they aren't. We don't look at a person's, a person's outward exterior and say that person doesn't fit the mold, that person doesn't, doesn't follow the rules that I, I should follow, and so they must not be as spiritual as I am. Paul says we don't consider anyone from an outward perspective anymore. And there's a, there's a reason for that. Not only is Christ's love controls, but he goes on in verse 17 and, and explains to us why Paul and his partners no longer look at people from an outward perspective. And you'll know this verse. Most of you will know this verse. If you've grown up in church or been around church, uh, you'll know this one. Verse 5, verse 17, chapter 5, verse 17, he says, So then, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What is old has passed away. Look what is new has come. Now, most of us, when we read that verse, we think about salvation, you're new in Christ, you're a new person. That means everything that is in your past is washed away, it's not held against you. That means that, that all those mistakes that you made, that that's no longer a part of your life, that's not gonna be held against you. That's what most of us think when we read that verse. And that is certainly part of it. Certainly a big part of it. But it's not all of it. You see, because Paul's writing to people who have already done that. Paul's writing to people who are already believers. And so when Paul says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation, the old has gone and the new has come, he's also talking about why they can look at people and judge them, not based on their outward exterior, but based on another thing. Paul says, it doesn't matter what you are on the outside. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Because I'm a new creation, I also get the new perspective of Christ. So, so Paul's saying, it doesn't matter to me if a person's a Jew or a Gentile. Because I'm a new creation in Christ, my perspective has changed. Race no longer matters to me. Whereas Paul used to say, if you're a Gentile, I don't go near you because I'm unclean. He's saying, now it doesn't matter what your race is. All that matters is, are you in Christ or not? It doesn't matter what your gender is, whether you're male or female. Are you in Christ or not? It doesn't matter what your background was. Did you have a relatively good moralistic background and then you, then you, you became a believer? Or did you have a pagan background and you lived it up and, and, and then you became a believer? Doesn't matter. You're in Christ. That's what matters. And Paul's saying, I don't, I don't judge people by their exterior now. 
because of my, my being a new creation in Christ, I now have the ability to, to consider them the way Christ considers them. It doesn't matter if, if you ran in the same groups as I did in high school. Now we're in college, and, and, and I have a decision to make all over again. Do I run with you or not? It doesn't matter what their outward exterior is. It doesn't matter what groups they belong to. Are they in Christ or not? Are they a new creation or not? That's the only perspective that matters. That's the only distinction that determines how then we relate to other people. Are you in Christ or not? Paul says, I'm a new creation. He's writing to people. He says, you're a new creation. These people were judging Paul. Paul says, don't judge me by my outward exterior. Don't judge me by what you think is foolish. Judge me by the new perspective you have in Christ. I'm in Christ. You're in Christ. That should change the way you treat and consider me. Paul says, this is why we don't consider people based on how they look, how they've lived in the past, what groups they were in, what clubs they were in, or what they weren't in. The only thing that matters is are they in Christ or are they not? That's, that's the two groups you've got to get in big picture in your mind. Are they in Christ or are they not? He goes on in verse 18 and he says, all these things, all the things that are new, remember, behold, all things are new. The oldest past, the new has come. Paul says, all of these things, all these new things, the new, the new life you get in Christ, the new perspective you get in Christ, all of these things, verse 18, are from God. And it is God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So we have our word there. Remember what Paul's message was? Be reconciled to God. Here's where that word pops up. We have a ministry of reconciliation, Paul says. Paul says, we have all these things, all these new things are because God gave them to us in Christ when he reconciled us to him. Reconciled means in a very simple sense, taking something that's old and worn out and trading it in for something that's restored and new. Taking something that's old and worn out and trading it in for something that's new. You see, the way we, we were, the condition that, that humanity was in, apart from, from God sending Christ, the old position, the worn-out position, was that of death, under the wrath of God. Only being able to see through our own lenses, through our own understanding, which includes judging people from our exterior. And Paul says, all these new things are ours in Christ because God reconciled us he, he took that which was old, pushed it aside, and gave us something that was new and restored. New life, new perspective, new way of thinking. All these things were because we were reconciled to God. Now, we can't reconcile ourselves to God. And there was, there's definitely a need to be reconciled to God. Because of sin entering the world, humanity has been separated from God. The relationship that we were created and designed to have with God does not exist apart from Christ. Because of what took place in the garden, there was a break, there's a rift. And ever since then, all of humanity has been trying to figure out how to close that gap, and we search for it in different ways. Paul's saying, God is the one who reconciled us. You didn't do anything to earn that. You didn't do anything to make God say, now I'm going to reconcile. God chose to reconcile, and he chose to do it a very specific way. He chose to do it one way, through Christ. And with that comes these new perspectives. So in verse 19 then, in other words, so Paul's going to explain this more. In other words, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's trespasses against them. And he has given us 
the methods of reconciliation. So Paul says, in Christ, God reconciled the world to himself. In Christ, no other way. And because of that, Paul says we have this, this message of reconciliation, which is what shows up now back in our focus verse of chapter uh, 5, verse 20, where Paul says, be reconciled. Be reconciled. What Paul's telling his Corinthian, his Corinthian readers, who were believers, they placed their trust in Christ. He's writing to a church, but they're having some division. They have some racial tension. They have some, some uh, authority issues. They're questioning Paul because they're judging from the outside. And Paul says, those things don't matter because we've been reconciled in Christ. That's what matters. And so Paul's message to this particular church is be reconciled to God. In other words, live like people who have been reconciled to God. Don't judge me by, your outward ex- by the outward exterior. Don't judge me by what you think is foolish. Judge me based on me being in Christ or not. And if Paul was writing to a group of people who had not yet believed, his message would be the same. Be reconciled to God. But the application would be different. Because reconcile, being reconciled to God, uh, in, in, if you've not yet placed your trust in Christ, means placing your trust in Christ. But Paul writing to people who have already placed their trust in Christ, be reconciled, means live like it. Be fully reconciled. All right, so now, come back around. Chapter 5, verse 20. We are ambassadors of Christ. As if we are pleading for Christ on his behalf, be reconciled to God. All right, remember how we opened up the, the, the sermon. And I asked you to look around and I asked you questions about what your, what your situation was. And we talked about vision. And I said, you've got to catch a vision for God's mission. Because regardless of what you do, regardless of what college you go to or don't go to, regardless of whether you go to college or not, regardless of whether you go into the workforce, regardless of you get the job you want, if you get the major you want, if, you, if, if, if college meets all of your expectations or it doesn't, if you catch a vision for God's mission, you're not just going to survive where you go, you're going to thrive where you go. If you catch a vision for God's mission, you will be content wherever you go because you're going to thrive wherever you go because you're going to be living not for yourself but for Christ. You know, and, and, and catching a vision for God's mission doesn't mean that you abandon everything you want to do. It doesn't mean you lay down your desires. It doesn't mean you, you lay down your, your willness. I mean, it, those things may come. In other words, some of you may go on a path and following Christ and being an ambassador of Christ may take you down a different one, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's what's going to happen. But it's a perspective that you have to catch. You have to catch a vision. You have to get a big picture for your life. Is your life and your big picture going to be shaped by where you end up, by how much money you make? Mothers, whether your kids obey you, whether they turn out to be good or rebellious, is that going to be what defines you? Is that going to be what keeps you focused? Because there's going to be plenty of distractions for you. There's going to be plenty of activities that are going on uh, as you go through this season. You are entering a phase of life that is some of the most exciting years you will ever go through, some of the most freeing and exhilarating years as you start to grow in your independence and you go away from, from your, your home and your parents a little bit and all the parents cringed a little bit, but you start to spread your wings. 
and you're discovering, who am I? And that's a question you're going to ask. Who am I? And you're discovering, and you're asking, what am I going to do with my life? That's a question you're going to ask. And you're going to ask, who do I belong to? What groups will I fit into? These are questions you will be asking. If you catch a vision for God's mission, those questions will be answered regardless of where you go. They won't change. So that whether you end up at your college or you don't, whether you end up in the job you want or you don't, if you catch a vision for God's mission, you will thrive. Now, there are people in this church that get that. There are people in this church that have caught a vision for God's mission. And, and, and just two of them that I can think of this week uh, because I had interaction with this, this week. One person, I get emails from this person all the time with questions about the Bible and about life. Now, these are tough questions that I get. And these aren't questions that just come up because this person is studying and the, and the question comes. These are questions that come up because this person is in the community interacting with people and these people ask her these questions. And they drive her to the scripture. And then she shoots me an email and says, can you help me with this? Because this person's asking. We're talking about questions like, you know, um, what happens when people die? Did God allow this to happen to my husband? Questions that are real life and trying to wrestle with where the Bible fits in and speaks to that. That person's caught a vision for God's mission. Doesn't matter where that person goes, she's on mission for God. Another person travels around quite a bit. Wherever that person goes, they take the opportunity to share the gospel. And I've gotten emails from this person when they're on the road outside of this state. And they tell me about this conversation they had where they shared the gospel and it just came up in conversation and, and he, he was bold and he spoke the gospel, shared it. He's on mission for God. He got a big picture. He caught a vision for God's mission. There are people in this church that get that. There's some of you that get this already. You, you understand what it is to live for God and it's shaped your decisions and it's shaped your direction or, or it's shaping your direction because you're trying to discern that. There are some of you who understand that what happens to you in your life, even though you didn't plan it, it's being used by God to shape you and to take your focus off yourself and to put it on him. There are some of you that understand and you've caught a, a vision for God's, God's mission, and so it's shaping the direction you're going and the training you're getting so that you can go off and do foreign missions. You get it. And it doesn't matter where you go. If you catch a vision for God's mission, it doesn't matter who you're with, where you go, what you do or don't do, you'll have a purpose. You'll stay focused. You won't be like my 87 Suburban that veers left when I'm trying to go straight. You will stay straight. And you'll thrive wherever you go. And that's the same for all of us. If you catch a vision for God's mission, if you're a mom, are you just being burdened by your mothering and you just, you just see it as, as, a, as a weight that's been put on you? Or do you see your mothering as being on mission for God? Pouring into your kids, shaping them, pointing them to the Lord. Where you work, do you view yourself as being on God's mission? Do you view yourself as being an ambassador for Christ? Representing God, representing Christ? Or do you live for yourself? Because it doesn't matter if you own your business or you're the low man on the totem pole. It doesn't matter if you have a good year or a bad year. If you catch a vision for God's mission, you're gonna thrive wherever you go. And can you imagine if we all, 
caught a vision for God's mission, if you all caught a vision for God's mission, can you imagine what that would be like? I'm not talking about people on the campuses in the courtyard standing on the wall holding a John 3.16 sign and yelling out, God loves you or God hates sinners. That's not what I'm talking about. That doesn't work anymore. God can use it. Maybe he did before. But do you go and do that kind of stuff on the, on the campus? What are people going to do? They're going to mostly walk away and say, I figured that's how you were. We've got to get past that. And what it looks like to be controlled by Christ's love is to build your relationships. Love the people you're in that relationship with. Be intentional. Don't judge them by the outside. You ask this question, are they in Christ or are they not? And that determines how you relate to them. And if they're not in Christ, you don't shun them. If they're not in Christ, you don't look down on them. You love them. You build a relationship with them. You be very intentional about it. And you have those conversations that friends have. And you share what's important to you. And if being on mission for God is what's important to you, God's going to use that. If you catch a vision for God's mission, it could change your campus. Did you hear me? It could change your campus. It could change the entire atmosphere of a classroom. It can change your workplace. If you catch a vision for God's mission, it can change your home. It changes people. When people capture, are captured by God's love through Christ, when people are reconciled to God because they've placed their trust in Christ, and when those people who have been reconciled to God go and are ambassadors for Christ and they catch a vision for God's mission, it changes things. It changes people. So you want to change the world? Getting a degree doesn't change the world. The job you go into won't change the world. If you want to change the world, catch a vision for God's mission. And then whatever you do, God has you there so that you would be on mission for him. Whatever you do, God has you there because you're on mission for him. doesn't matter if you like your job or not. doesn't matter if you like your family or not. God puts you there to be on mission for him. Catch a vision for God's mission. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for our graduates. God, thank you for your love for us, your love for them. Thank you for our mothers. God, would you help us to catch a vision for your mission? That we would not live for ourselves, but that we would live for you. God, we got a bunch of Christians sitting around living for themselves and nothing's getting done and nobody's being changed. We got a bunch of Christians sitting around feeding themselves spiritually and they're getting fat. They need to work off that weight spiritually. They need to be on mission for you. God, let us not be those people. Let these graduates catch that. God, get a hold of them. Get a hold of our mothers in this room. Get a hold of all of people in this room. God, capture them with your love. Open their eyes that they would understand your love for them. Demonstrate it through Christ. And then would we all be able to say, like Paul says, we're, we do what we do because we're controlled by Christ. We don't consider outward exterior because we're controlled by Christ. We're ambassadors of him. We don't judge based on the way the world judges. We have a new perspective because we are new people. God, give us that vision for what it looks like to live on mission. Give us the opportunities to be on mission. Even this week, 
change our perspective so that we see our coworkers in a whole different light. Not looking down, not condescendingly, but God, with your eyes, so that we might live on mission, be ambassadors of Christ. And it's in his name I pray, amen.